Welcome to the Fearless Fostering Podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Burst, LCSW, a foster and adoptive and bio mama and a therapist in private practice. I'm here to help foster mamas feel seen, heard, and supported on their journey. From quick, actionable steps to make your foster care journey easier to interviews with foster and adoptive mamas, the Fearless Fostering Podcast delivers education and encouragement weekly. So let's get started. Welcome back to the Fearless Fostering Podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Burst, LCSW, and today I am joined by the one and the only Tori Hope Peterson. She is a foster, adoptive, bio mama. She is an author of an amazing book that is just coming out. So thank you, Tori, for taking time out of your busy schedule to chat with me. Oh, thank you for having me, Kathleen. It's my pleasure. Uh, well, I would love for you, just in case anyone in the foster care world is not familiar with your story, if you'd be willing to just share a little bit of your background with us. Of course. So I first went into the foster care system, entered the foster care system when I was three years old, and that was due to a drug bust. And I was not happy I went into the foster care system. I wanted to be with my mom. You know, you don't know when you're three, or three years old that the life you're living is dysfunctional. And so the foster care system did its job. It reunified me and my mom. I wasn't in the foster care system for very long, just months. And I was very happy to be with my mom again. But then as I got older, her mental illness got worse. And I was honestly like, I didn't want to live there anymore. And so uh, my sister and I actually ended up going into the foster care system again, because uh, the abuse and neglect in our house just got pretty bad. And this time I was very happy to go into the system. I thought this was my and my sister's chance at, you know, just having a family and having a new beginning, escaping the abuse. But within like weeks of being in our first foster home together, we were separated and I went to go live in a group home, which was very challenging. And God taught me a lot of lessons in that home. But uh, after I left there, I moved throughout 10 more foster homes until I emancipated the day I turned 18. Okay. So you're hoping for family. You're hoping for a new start and this kind of life that you had hoped for. And then that was just basically the complete opposite of what it turned out for you. And you're so young and the formative years of your life, this is all happening. What, I mean, what did that look like for you emotionally as you were dealing with all that as a young teenage woman? Well, when I was separated from my sister, that was just heartbreaking because there was abuse that had happened in the home and I reported it. Um, and I felt like I needed to report it to keep my sister safe. Um, but I was deemed a liar, a manipulator. They brushed the abuse under the rug. And then I felt like, well, I just put my sister in more danger because now I can't be there to protect her. And then I had to kind of navigate that and all my foster homes. Like I just always blamed myself, always wondered where my sister was, how she was doing on top of just trying to be accepted, you know, home to home to home, like trying to fit the mold so that maybe I could have a family, but then also, you know, probably sabotaging some homes. That's what they said. You know, they said I like quote unquote sabotage the homes. And I wouldn't say that was like my intent, but you know, maybe I did just because I didn't, you know, I didn't know necessarily how to have family or I didn't like the rules in the foster care system, but it was just a lot, a lot of heavy things to navigate. Mm -hmm. So when you emancipated, then you just, you had lived through all of this heaviness and separation. And then all of a sudden you're, you're emancipated. So what does that look like when you're all of a sudden, okay, you're 18. 
Now what? So, you know, there's this myth in the foster care system that when you turn 18, you get kicked out. And that's not the case, you know, in the foster care system. It's been, this has been happening for more than 10 years. There are extended resources, extended foster care. No child gets kicked. They might get kicked out of their home, but they're not getting kicked out of the system. They can go to another home. System will find another home for them. Uh, They could get a a lot of, in a lot of places you get free housing. The benefits are insane. But I chose to emancipate the day I turned 18. There wasn't all those resources in place because extended foster care was new when I was being emancipated, but there there was still extended foster care. I could have stayed in my foster home, but, and I loved my foster mom. She's awesome. Still love her, but I didn't want to because I felt not burned by my foster mom. Just, I just want that to be so clear, but I felt so burned by the foster care system, the caseworkers, the, the justice system. And I just, there was I struggled with mental illness a lot in the foster care system. I think it was due uh, predominantly because of the isolation. Uh, In 2014, there was an act that passed called the Normalcy Act. And that allows youth who live in out-of-home care or foster care to uh, engage in normal, quote-unquote, normal activities, uh, the same activities that their peers who don't live in the foster care system um, engage in. But that didn't pass until... I was out of the foster care system. And so I didn't get the benefits of that. Because of that, I experienced a lot of isolation. I didn't get to go to friends' house unless their parents had like a background check and fingerprints. And everyone thought that was super weird. Um, I couldn't drive with like anyone unless they had, again, uh, fingerprints, background, license, and insurance. And everyone thought that was really weird if I asked them of that. And so then I stopped asking people after a while because I was already the, the bad kid because I was in foster care always trying to prove myself. And I was just at that point trying to get through. So I chose to emancipate because I wanted to try and live like as normal of a life as you can at 18, being on your own and still in high school and doing sports. Um, and I just felt like the foster care system, it, it wasn't going to benefit me anymore in any way, especially in, in the realm of mental health. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really important and as a clinician myself, it's just something that breaks my heart so much. I think um, even the foster moms that I connect with and help, it's just the thing that I hear over and over again is the disservice that the mental health system is doing for kids in care or not doing, you know, because they're they're just kind of passing the buck and passing the buck. And was that kind of your experience that they didn't really get to the root of what was happening for you? Or what was that like? Um, yeah, I just think that they didn't, I never really felt like they cared, you know, when I was in the foster care system, I, you know, and there are caseworkers who are amazing, but in my caseworkers, I don't know, I think that they just didn't care. Um, I would try and say, you know, I was struggling with mental illness and they would put me in counseling, but you know, counseling doesn't replace community. Counseling doesn't replace being among people who love you. Counseling doesn't replace uh, normal emotional uh, development and friendships. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there was still always that that I was fighting against. And there was uh, my senior year, my caseworkers, they finally let me do post-secondary. I was asking, and for anyone who doesn't know what that is, it's like dual enrollment. You're in high school and college at the same time, but you're not paying for college. So it's a bunch of free credits and it still counts towards high school. It's great. Um, and I wanted to do it all throughout high school. And my caseworkers always said, no, no, no. And then finally my senior year, they said, okay, you can do it. And that was a really good for me. I, I had more freedom in like the classes I was attending. 
Um, and I was just able to make more friends because I would be at the college like the entire day, but there's a lot more, I only took five classes. So there's a lot more space um, to just build relationships. And then at the same time I was running track. And so I could go into the weight room and I would like lift and practice in there. And I would then, my, I had a track coach and he was like a mentor, a father figure to me. It's really my best friend, became my best friend throughout this year. And it was great because I had such a flexible schedule because of the college schedule that we could meet whenever, whenever he was available and we could train for track, which was a huge part of my story because I, that year I went on to become a four-time state champion in track and field. And this was really like the beginning of me being like, okay, I think that maybe I'm not going to be a statistic. Like maybe I'm really not going to be a stereotype. And I built this great relationship with my track coach to the point that he ended up welcoming me into his family. That's amazing. That is just, oh, what a great, you know, just person to have come into your life and and for you to have that schedule lined up. I mean, I think like, obviously God, God was orchestrating um, just the right people at the right time and place. And I love that you share so much about God in your story. I think someone could easily look at your story and hear your story and be like, wow, okay, like that is the hardest thing I've ever heard. I don't know how you get through that. I mean, I think there's a lot of people that are living that right now too. And they're like, what do I, like, am I going to be just a statistic? So what would you say to someone like that who is having that struggle right now? Hmm. You know, what I say to people who are kind of like in this space of feeling hopeless or they're really hurting it's really simple, but that it gets better. I remember when I was a kid and I'd be like, oh, I just can't wait till I turn 18. I'm going to be able to be out of the foster care system. Oh, I can't wait till I'm an adult. I'm going to be able to do what I want. And people, especially adults, you know, they would be like, oh yeah, you're going to be able to do what you want. You're going to have to pay bills. Like you're going to have kids and then you're really not going to be able to do anything you want. And like, I just remember like feeling so hopeless, like, wow, nothing's ever going to get better. But like adulthood is so much better. Uh, Life has gotten so much better. And I really attribute that to being in community. And I would also encourage those people who are struggling uh, to get in a community. You know, the church, there's a lot of people who are really hurt by the church. And I get that and I understand it. And the way that I talk about the church, I think people think that like, I've never been hurt by the church, been very hurt by the church. But really, you know, we're not hurt by the church. We're hurt by a few broken people in the church in their brokenness. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I encourage people to get in a community, get in church, because we can't escape the goodness of being held accountable and being uplifted and encouraged and all the things that the bridegroom can do for us. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love that you said that because I do, I think, especially these days, we've, we hear so many people and we ourselves in, in turn have possibly been hurt by the church. And people say like, I've been hurt by the church. I've been burned by the church, but it's like, you're absolutely right. It's not the church. <laughs> it's not the capital C church that we're being hurt by. It's the people, it's the, it's the sinners of which I am one as well, you know, that make up these churches yeah. that, that's exactly it. But the community that you could find there is so great. I love that you said that. Um, I want to talk about belonging for a minute. And I'm actually going to read something that you wrote that really was beautiful, I thought. And I'd love for you just to respond to it. You said, uh, since I was a teenager, I haven't felt like I belonged, not in the BIPOC community or the white community, not among political progressives or conservatives, not among the privileged or the underprivileged. I've always felt like an outsider until I encountered Jesus. 
Now I understand I'm a child of God. You are a child of God. And the beautiful part of that is that it trumps every other place we've been kicked out of. So can you just share a little bit more about that? I just thought that was just so gorgeous. And I love how you share your faith and and interspersed with all of the the hard pieces of your story. Mm, Thanks. You know, I just, I don't know how to share it any other way. There are people that ask me like, hey, will you come speak? But like, can you leave God out? And I'm like, I just don't even know how to do that because it's such a huge part of what has happened in my life. And, you know, I went from home to home to home felt unwanted, felt kicked out. But the thing that healed me uh, was stepping into the church, right? That that good place that we really can't escape the goodness of it if we're in it and if we walk through the hard parts of it. Um, and there are still parts of the church that I hate. But anyway, I, I stepped into the church um, and I understood that God made a space for me. He created a space for me in the church, but above all else he creates a room and a kingdom for me so people might not want me in their home and you know what eventually maybe i might get kicked out of a church but god has created a room and a kingdom for me and that just trumps everything and there are people who are like yeah i'm gonna kick her out of my house we don't want her to be a part of our family we don't want her to be our daughter we don't want you know like to the people listening to this who you know have lost a friend who is waiting for that text back and you're wondering like why haven't I got a text back? Why doesn't the person want to want to be close to me? Um, especially those people who really value relationships. I'm a very relational person. I'm an Enneagram too. But the thing that heals me again and again is that God calls me a child of his. He calls me his daughter. So no one else could want me. But God, he calls me his daughter. And his opinion is above every other opinion. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so good. I'm an Enneagram too also. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> preach that to myself all day, every day. I love it. Hey guys, I just wanted to let you know really quickly about some amazing free resources for foster mamas on my website, fearlessfostering.com. I have a self-care quiz that will help you decide exactly what type of self-care you need at this point on your foster care journey, as well as a virtual retreat for foster mamas and an anxiety reducing email course, all for free. Check it out right now on fearlessfostering.com. Well, let's talk about your book because I am so excited about it. It is coming out in like two days. Yes. Fostered. (laughs) I feel like I've just been so excited about it for so long. What made you decide to write this book and what was the process like for you? So the crazy thing is, is that I wrote this book almost four years ago. Started writing this book almost four years ago. And I wrote it. I wanted to write it for the kid in the foster care system who was like me. And I wanted to give them hope. And I wanted them to know that they were a child of God. I wanted them to know that there was a purpose and plan for their life. That if people spoke negative things over them, um, I wanted to encourage them to find a person like I did in my track coach and like I did in my church. I wanted them to find a person that could uplift them. Um, I really just wanted that the foster kid, you know, to find this book and to ultimately know that they are so deeply known and so deeply loved despite everything that they've been through, despite the things that have been done to them. And then I started sharing on social media because literary agents and publishers said no to my book 50 times, um, over 50 times. And uh, they said, no one knows you. That's what they kept saying. No one knows you. No one's going to buy a book from you. And I was like, okay, fair. (laughs) And so, um, and that's sad, right? That that's the way that like publishing has went. But I was like, okay, I'm going to use what I have right in front of me. And I'm going to just share the story. 
And I'm like, they don't want to take my story. I'm going to share my story on social media. And then people started to know me, at least people in the foster care realm. And a publisher actually reached out to me on social media and said, uh, you know, can we, can, what you're doing, you are educating people, uh, you have a ministry here. And that was like, people were like, people started to call what I was doing a ministry. And that was never my intent. Like, I just wanted to share my story, encourage other people to share their story. And then people were like, how can we bless your ministry? How can we pray for your ministry? And the publisher reached out to me and was like, you know, you got a ministry here and we want to be a part of it. And I was just like, well, this was the plan. Like, this is what I would love to do. I would love to, yes, I would love to write a book. And I think for me, it was really like the overall, I think I wanted to do was I wanted to go into all the world and I wanted to preach the gospel. I wanted to, you know, be an obedient witness of love. I wanted to obey that command. And, you know, we that the, social media is a great way to do that. But social media could disappear like that. You know, it could disappear overnight. The cool thing about a book is that it's like permanent. You know, people would have to burn all of my books for them <laughs> to go away. It would be really hard for my book to ever go away. And so um, I wanted to obey that command. And this is so amazing, Kathleen. Just this past week, everybody praised God for this. Um, I found out that my book is being published also in Australia and Canada because of all of the support that has been around it and all of the pre-orders. It's not even out yet. Um, so just glory be to God. You know, I feel so, I'm like, I, I could be done. Like I did the thing that God told me to do. Like I went into the world and preach the gospel to all creations. Yeah, there's so many reasons I, I wrote the book and God God is showing me, it's like I started with the foster kid, but I guess God has been showing me so much more. And so that's why that answer was so long. <laughs> well, it was beautiful and I thank you for it. And as you were speaking too, I was like, well, it's amazing to me that in your mind and, and, and what God had like put on your heart was to share for the foster child. I have two kids of my own that have been in care and just like knowing that someday they could read your book and be like, you know what? Wow. Like, look, look at her, look at her. Like for my daughter to be able to someday be like, yeah, this was my beginning as well. But guess what? Like, look at, look at Tori. She did it. You know what I mean? She wasn't a statistic. And in fact, look at all the things she did. Like to me as a foster mom and adoptive mom, like that is just so precious to be able to have something like that to hand to my, my kids someday. Um, and I think that a lot of foster moms feel that way. I can speak on behalf of many that know you and love you that I come in contact with. And so thank you for all that you do for us as well, because it's just oh, so important. Thank you so much. That's so sweet. And yeah, like representation matters, right? You know, we say, you know, we want to show representation in terms of race, but I think it's also important to show it in terms of background. Um, it's important to show that kids that, you know, despite what they've been through, they can come on the other side and show them role models that have been what they've been through. And I just want to say there are so many other, like I have such a loud voice in this sphere and I'm very grateful for people like you who give me the microphone. But there are actually like so many of us now, there's so many former foster youth and adoptees like taking on the mantle and educating in their own way, in their corner. Um, and it's just really beautiful to watch and see that foster youth who have who have really coming behind us now have so many role models um, to look through and that look to and that's really what I do hope to be that. Yes, well, you definitely are, and it's just it's such a gift to all of us. As we wrap up, I want to just ask you what um, encouragement or what kind of what should foster moms know? What's important for us to be aware of as we continue on? 
loving um, these kiddos from hard places? You know, pray for discernment. That's what I would say. I I once read a statistic that foster parents or um, parents with children who are not biologically theirs make six times the amount of decisions that parents who solely have biological children do. Um, look, you're like, oh my gosh, I know you like understand your life now, right? Yes, um, dear. You, have, <laughs> you have like decision fatigue. And so in all of those decisions, right, we're trying to make the best choices for our children, but we also have six times the amount of the decisions to make for our children. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I say the number one gift that we need as disciples, as foster parents, as just really anyone walking with the Lord, but especially I think foster parents and people in the foster care realm is love. And the second thing is discernment. So pray for the Lord to speak to you, uh, listen to him, be in the word, create daily rhythms of worship, even, and don't feel like it has to be, think people, you know, kind of push away from that or find it very difficult because they think it has to be a, a long, a long time. And we don't often have a lot of time you know, create 10 minute slots, create five minute slots and see what God does with that and see how he speaks to you. Mm-hmm. Oh, love that so much. That is so good. Well, please tell us where we can find your book and where we can find you online if we don't already follow you because you have such wisdom and I have seen just the Holy Spirit move in you so much and speak to me. And I'm just thankful for you using your voice the way that you are. So tell us where we can find everything good from you. Uh, thank you, Kathleen. You can order Fostered, uh, my book, off Amazon, uh, Target, Barnes & Noble, Walmart, really any uh, retailer. And you can follow me at Tori Hope Peterson. Um, I'm on TikTok and Instagram, and I'm not that great at Facebook, but I try. Um, my URL is Tori Hope Peterson, and Peterson is S-E-N, not S-O-N. Perfect. And we'll make sure that we link everything up as well. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for everything that you're sharing. And I hope this book gets into like every single person's hands, (laughs) foster care world or not, because it's just such a gift. Thank you, Kathleen.